I honestly didn't feel like it was absolutely necessary to create a solar farm. So to give you an idea of our our actual utilities for the entire year of living in our tiny house, it only cost us about $300. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 98 with Melissa Tack. Chris and Melissa were one of the first tiny house builds to be fully documented in photographs every single day. And luckily for me, they were about six months ahead of me. So I had some reference material while I was building way back in 2012. Melissa and Chris lived tiny for four years before deciding to purchase a property of their own for the little house to sit on. And then they ended up moving into a slightly larger house. Melissa is here to tell us her story and to catch up. It's been several years and she is still involved in the tiny house movement. So I hope you stick around for this great conversation with Melissa Tack. I'd like to give a quick listener shout out to Sophia Youngbauer, who says, Ethan's Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is a great resource for anyone interested in alternative living dwellings. He interviews a wide variety of people, including spearheaders of the modern tiny house movement, tiny house dwellers, schoolies, van lifers, and even a couple who live on a sailboat. His podcast helped solidify design choices in our tiny house on wheels build and also allowed me to connect with other people in the movement via social media. I'm always excited to see who will be the next guest on the show and hear a new perspective. Ethan also sheds light on what can be considered the not so glamorous parts of tiny living. Very valuable insight for those considering to go tiny or in the process. I'm so glad I found this podcast. Sophia, thank you so much for the review. And reviews really help the show find new listeners. So if you want to help me out, head over to ratethispodcast.com slash THLP to leave a review. Again, that's ratethispodcast.com slash THLP, where you can leave a review for the show on whatever platform you use most. Thank you so much for your support of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. All right, I am here with Melissa Tack. Melissa lives in the greater Seattle area where she designed and built her tiny house in 2011 with her husband, Christopher Tack. Hello, hello. The tiny tack house, as it comes, has come to be known, was a loving home for the tacks for four years before they decided to purchase property of their own for the little house to sit on. Currently, the tiny tack house is helping inspire others and give tiny house enthusiasts the chance to try tiny before embarking on their own tiny house endeavors. Melissa Tack, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you. Um, I've been kind of reaching out to my my inspirations while I was building uh your your blog your website was was hugely helpful to me um because you just did such a great job of documenting your whole process I'm curious why did you decide to document so well like what motivated you to do that well at the time as you know it was back in 2011 when we were building 
there really wasn't any resources available to help us along the way, except for one that I did find online. And it became such an asset to us during our build that honestly, I I figured if this was a good enough source of information for us to, to start on, then maybe what we can contribute might help somebody else along the way as well. And uh, so, yeah, we meticulously started documenting everything that we were doing. So that way, you know, somebody else has a little bit of information as well. Yeah, well, as I mentioned, it was, I remember just pouring over your blog, like kind of zooming in on the high resolution photos for details of like plumbing systems and and everything. And and you've left those those photos are just still still up there, kind of in perpetuity. <laughs> they are, yes. I uh, I go back to the blog every once in a while and realize that I haven't updated anything. But that's kind of how it it comes to be when you were in the tiny house team for so long, but you're out, but you're not really out. You know, I'm still in it, but it's up there because so many people still find it and. Again, the resources there are still completely valid. Yeah, it's a wonderful resource. So maybe we should rewind a little bit. I I consider anybody who started building a tiny house before maybe 2012 or 2013 to be kind of a <laughs> pioneer of sorts. Um, so could you tell the story of how you and Chris, you know, even decided to go for a tiny house? Yeah, definitely. So back in 2000, early, early 2011, Christopher and I were both working at Apple Retail. And one of Christopher's customers had come in and needed some help with her website. And she was in the process of building something. And I remember one day Christopher came home and he mentioned something about... Um, tiny something movement not quite sure he he didn't really spill all the information he just gave me a little snippet of it and the next day it was rattling in my brain and i couldn't help but try to do some research and so i i literally hopped on the computer typed in tiny house movement and lo and behold there was the uh, tiny houses on wheels the only ones that were known at the time were jay Schaefer's from tumbleweed and so prior to that christopher and i had been living out in washington state for about a year we moved out here from new york city where we also decided to move around every few years just to explore since we're young we wanted to go different states and see what other states had to offer but we didn't like renting either and we didn't want to buy a house and get stuck in a place for a certain amount of time so when I saw this idea of a tiny house on wheels, I thought that was absolutely perfect because we can take our house with us wherever we go. But of course, after we had decided to build our tiny house, uh, we come to a realization that we absolutely love the state that we're in. So we never actually had to move it anywhere, but it became such a part of our life. Yeah. So, and, and that's funny because my experience echoes yours a little bit just with never moving it. Like it just became such a part of, of my life and just the way, where I had it parked was like the perfect spot. And so I just never wanted to move it. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So you you lived in it in the same spot for four years? Yeah, um, we were out in Snohomish, Washington for four years. So we, we found property. It was really hard to find property, actually. This is one of the most common questions that I get in, in regards to, I want to build a house, I want to buy a house, but where am I going to put it? And for us, because we were renters, we didn't even have a place to build. And so that was kind of our, our go-to find first. And um, what I did is <laughs> I wrote a bunch of handwritten letters and put it in random people's mailboxes uh, in areas that had very large pole barn garages because it would be perfect place to build a tiny house. And of 15 letters that I had dropped off, two got back to me. Both were a no-go for the actual space, but the one did say that he could offer me a, a kind of like a tent camp in the back. And he had five acres of property, so plenty of space to build, but I would be doing it outside. It was our only option. It was a good option. It was anything. So we decided to go for it and we built our house. But then after the time had had slowly faded, we realized that we still needed a place to put it. We had a building spot, but not a living spot. And so we we actually talked to the homeowner and he was happy enough to have us stay there. And so we stayed there for an additional four years. Wow. So you ended up just leaving it right where you built it and that's where you lived. Yep. <laughs> now was um like legality parking regulations any was that ever a problem for you in that spot? Um that's always a tricky question because at the time, you know, it was back in 2011 and I was kind of in an unincorporated part of the city, so this is a place where, you know, you can park 20 cars in your front yard and nobody's going to have any fuss over it. And so I wasn't particularly worried about it. Not to say that the thoughts didn't go through my head of somebody coming by and shutting me down as I'm building my house. But yeah, I, the only other person that I knew at the time that was living in her tiny house was Dee Williams. And then shortly after I had discovered D, I I uh, discovered Brittany Yunker, who's also in the same state as I am. And she was living in her tiny house and she was fine. And D, D is probably the best asset for the tiny house movement by far. She's been through it all. And um, in regards to legality, she is totally on on level with her city they they come over she even has i think her own uh mailing address now so that's awesome yeah so i'm curious what the timeline looked like in terms of deciding to look for your own property was it a desire to get into a larger space was it a desire to just to own your own land what walk me through that um so the whole plan to begin with was to find a little piece of property of our own to put our tiny house on but you know how over time you're kind of living in your space you become comfortable it just becomes part of life and that's how we ended up on the property we did for four years is because it just became part of life we didn't have to look for a spot because we technically had a spot 
the only problem is the homeowners were going to sell the property eventually. So we knew we had to find another option. And our option was to find property to put our house on. But we just didn't have the cash flow to do so. So it was going to be cheaper to find an existing existing property with a house and all the systems in place than finding cheap land that still costs money out of pocket that I didn't have to then have to put in the electrical, the plumbing, and every other system uh, necessary for keeping me. I did build the house to be on-grid and off-grid, but during the winter months, I still need power. So the solar power is not going to be adequate for what I need. So yeah, we eventually did decide to buy the property we're on currently with a house with the intent of living in our tiny house and then renting out the main space to friends, family, whoever's in the area that needs, you know, accommodations with the, with also the idea that we would have more than just one tiny house on the property. Uh, I didn't buy a huge chunk, but what I do have was space offer up to others. And so I really tried to, uh, push the envelope. And at one point I've had three tiny houses in my backyard. That's awesome. Like yeah. on a, people come in tiny houses and rent a spot from you for a, a period of time. Pretty much. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And so I'm curious at what point did you move out of the tiny house and live in the quote unquote big house? So when we bought the property, the type of mortgage that we entered into was one that limited who was going to occupy the main house. And we signed a contract saying that we were going to have to be the main occupants of the house for at least two years before possibly having the opportunity to rent it out and then move back in our tiny house. During that time frame, I we planned on a family and we welcomed our daughter Solaris into the world not too long after buying the property. <laughs> so at the time we were just renting out our house on Airbnb and letting other people stay in it and experience tiny, but we also did want to continue our life in the tiny house. Um, but then it slowly became clear that that wasn't going to be <laughs> the option we were going to go with. Um, so as of right now, we're still just renting out our tiny house and we're still in the main house with future plans of still buying a little chunk of property to put our house on and then possibly even build a small 400 square foot house that we're going to design and build ourselves. Very cool. Mm -hmm. I love the story because it highlights how a tiny house on wheels can be adapted you know like when it was just you and chris you lived there and then you know it probably makes sense to have a little bit more space when you when you have some children around not that it's not possible but you know i'm very familiar with the design of your tiny house because it's similar to mine and it mm -hmm. it looks like it's really designed for two people not more yeah yeah no we we put a lot of thought into the the building of our tiny house because it was going to be a two-person occupant. And all the tiny houses that we have seen in the past have all been just a single person. 
And um, honestly, while designing the house, I designed it with dormers up in the loft space to accommodate two people. But I have no no building experience whatsoever when it comes to construction and constructing a home from scratch was a completely new idea to me. So (laughs) doing dormers was math that I did not want to have to play with. And I almost was going to scratch it and say, we're not going to do it. But Chris held me to it. And he said, we have to. (laughs) And I'm so glad that we did in the end. It was hard, but we, we powered through it. And now it's a, it's a space that's very, very comfortable to be in. Yeah, the dormers really make the loft much more comfortable, less like a tent and more like a little bedroom. Yeah. I remember bringing photos of your house to to the designer who helped me design my tiny house as yeah. you, you were on my like <laughs> mood board. Uh-huh. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I want to follow up on something you mentioned before about about the solar. Um, you were one of the first examples of a house where I got to see everything, and and you and Chris did the solar work yourself, yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. And you mentioned before that it's not adequate currently for the winter. How much? more do you think you'd have to add to make it a year-round off-grid tiny house? Well, Christopher is definitely the expert in that area. He's the one who was able to figure out all the appliances that we have and how much power we were going to consume for our house during a certain time frame. It, it, It was a whole calculator that he worked with a group out here to to determine our system. But we we did have the idea that we were going to expand our system at one point, knowing that we were going to build another little house somewhere so we could eventually move our system to that larger, larger house. <laughs> um, so we got a pretty beefy system, something that we can add on. We, we currently only have uh, four solar panels, uh, but we can add on, I think, another 10 to and our system wouldn't have to change at all. But to give you an idea, I, I live in Washington state. And so it's pretty cloudy here during the winter months. And the winter months can range from October till usually around February is when it's the darkest, the rainiest. Um, but I can run my entire system on solar alone from April till mid October. And that's just running on pure solar um so the off months is when i'm just not picking it up enough because there's just not enough and and i honestly didn't feel like it was absolutely necessary to create a solar farm <laughs> in my backyard just to power my tiny house so to give you an idea of our our actual utilities for the entire year of living in our tiny house it only cost us about three hundred dollars a year for everything to live in our tiny house. Wow. And that's heat, hot water, electric. Oh, that's everything. Mm-hmm. So is the way your system is set up, like it just, it's plugged into your main house and it just draws power as it needs to compensate for the what the solar can't do? Yeah. So the batteries are set up in a way that once they get down past a certain percentage, 
then it switches to be on grid. And then the on grid will first, it, it, it'll first power up the batteries. And then, so, and, and once it's reached 100, then it shuts up. So it's only supplying what it absolutely needs at that time. Cool. Mm-hmm. And that's just such a great thing because you did it however many years ago it was, 2012, so like eight years ago, and now it just it just keeps going. Has it Oh yeah. Has the system needed any kind of maintenance or work? Or um is- there's been some maintenance to it, mostly electrical. Um I think we had one cable go out on us that we're in the middle of fixing, but that's about it. It's an easy fix. And how do you you know, parked kind of near your your other house. How do you uh, deal with the the gray water that comes out of the tiny house? So just the way that we had done back when we were living on the other property is it's just um, it's literally just a hose going out to the ground. Um, I dug a pit and I put some rocks in, and we have uh, it, it's it's pretty tough dirt where I currently am, where I have a level of uh, clay that I have to interrupt. But honestly, the amount of water that I'm producing is so low compared to how much water is dropped out of the sky that you honestly don't even notice my footprint at all. Um, And I use all biodegradable soaps and everything in my tiny house. And I have special notes for my guests on what they need to do and what not to do as well. Nice. And I'm guessing that's not something that you've officially tried to like ask for permission for. Like from the no. town. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I haven't, I honestly haven't, um, I haven't gone to the city at all, mostly because of fear, honestly, but because I'm not doing any, any damage to anything my house isn't really lived in it's 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 recreated in more than anything um so i'm not really terribly concerned about it right and that's you know depends where you live but it truly is better to uh beg forgiveness than ask permission and in (laughs) yeah the case of tiny houses especially in more rural places or in places where they're not uptight about these these types of things. Yeah, I can understand different systems if you're in a different area. I'm I'm in the city limits, so there are different guidelines that I have to follow in regards to my tiny house. And I do have a composting toilet, but I don't use it in the form of, say, Brittany Yunker, who also has a composting toilet, but she is able to compost on her property. And she can even get her guests involved with that. But because I'm in the city limits, it's kind of a no-no. So we we essentially have to do the the bag drop here. Um, I can't I can't actually compost it like I want to. But if I'm out in the countryside, I'm able to do so. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. So remind me, did you do the humanor style toilet? Just the the five gallon. Bucket? I did. Yep. So now those mm-hmm. buckets are just lined with a trash can liner? Basically, yeah. Yeah, they go out like a dirty diaper. Yeah. That's so unfortunate. I mean, it's there are a lot of cities that, that have a rule against composting toilets. And I suppose it makes sense because it could be, you know, if you do it wrong and you could create a bit of a biohazard, but it's also 
kind of a bummer to just have to throw that into the landfill. It is. Agreed. And how have things been going with Airbnb? Are guests, you know, enjoying the process? And are, are you finding that people will rent the house who are looking to, to potentially live tiny themselves? Yeah, I actually get a lot of uh, people coming in that are very interested in buying tiny. Very few actually want to build themselves, but they're all very interested in buying. But they kind of use my house as uh, a guideline for what they liked or what they didn't like. And I get a lot of people who are saying it's very inspirational. And I, I joke all the time with people because uh, I get some some comments about my craftsmanship. And I just have to laugh because, again, this is like the first thing I had ever built. And there is no such thing as craftsmanship in here. <laughs> but it works. It's homey. It's cozy. And it's perfect for what we have. I do. I do in the off season get a lot of people who are coming to celebrate. So birthdays, anniversaries, different things like that. People come in surprised because people are always talking about how they love, love tiny and wanted to see. And eventually some people do mention how uh, it's, it's taught them a few things and how they actually might consider doing tiny themselves. If you, you mentioned you know, a 400 square foot cabin, which I would say is still quite tiny. What would be, what would be different about the cabin from, from the tiny tack house? <laughs> more sleeping space, more sleeping space. Cause in, in our original plan for our tiny house, we actually had thought about putting in a secondary loft over the front door. And that would be a room for a little one. But as I've grown to understand children more, I know that it works for older little ones, but not, not the little littlists. And it is challenging being in a tiny house with like a ladder system and everything because I myself uh, hurt myself pretty bad uh, while I was living in the tiny house and getting up and down my ladder was quite challenging. I was able to do it, but it was quite challenging. Um, so there are different things that I would take and not. <laughs> so stairs would probably be a better option next time than a ladder. Yeah, I've I've also really um, tired of the ladder, I would say that that was probably my number one. You know, what would I do differently if I were to mm -hmm. do another tiny house on wheels? It would be no ladder. Yeah. And people are going bigger, too, I've noticed. Much. Um, yeah, most of the people that I talk to who are interested in finding a spot and notice that I do have an available spot open on my property for uh, an additional tiny house. But when they mention the size, I just I don't understand how people are going so big. I love tiny. I am so encouraged by it. Like, I want to go smaller, honestly, like her. If I was to build another tiny house, I would go smaller than a 20 foot that I'm in right now. But yeah, people are talking 30 footers, 32 footers, and it's incredible. But, you know, if you're in a space like that, you can basically have it all. Right. I think I, I have mixed feelings about it because um, I'm also I'm on a 22 foot trailer and the house itself is about 18 or 19. The bigger tiny houses do have other amenities that would be hard to fit into ours, like such as laundry. Or, you know, full-size kitchen appliances. Some of them also have, like, a full-on second 
second loft, like a second bedroom where, you know, you really could have, you know, a, a kid could have a room of their own in, in that mm-hmm. house. So I can understand it from from that perspective. But I agree. I also I think that the utility of it being on wheels when you get up that long, it starts being just, you know, if you think it's hard to tow a 10,000 pound house, like a 15,000 pound house is mm-hmm. going to be twice as hard or, you know, just oh, yeah. a whole new ball game. Oh, yeah. And our our tiny house is actually the longest at the time because um, when we went to go see D's, of course, D's was much smaller. And then Brittany's was a little bit bigger. I think hers was about 18, 18 footer. And Christopher and I looked at each other. We're like, okay, this, this could work. But again, there's going to be two of us in the house. And I would work from home, so I would need my own space. And so we decided 20-footer would be the ultimate. Yeah, yours was really the first non-tumbleweed design that I saw that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I think Brittany's is a fencil, and which is a classic tumbleweed design. Yeah, that actually was one of the ones I was looking at Me as too. an option. Yeah. When I saw, you know, when I saw your dormers and um just the the way that that the they opened up the space that became a a new inspiration for me yeah and the only reason i changed this design mostly is because i knew that we were going to be inside our space most of the time being two people we needed a little extra room so that's why i bumped off the porch i figured i could build a big porch outside of my house i don't need it to be attached to it permanently right Although I do love, love big porches on tiny houses. <laughs> yeah, they are great. But you could also do that as a separate structure or a permanent structure. Yeah. You know, build it around your tiny house once you've kind of settled in. Yeah, like uh, Jenna from uh, Giant Jer- like Tiny House Giant Journey, she's out in Washington as well. And she has her, her tiny house park where she's renting it currently, but also living in it at the same time. And she built a beautiful large large deck on hers, which is exactly what I dream of. Yeah, I've seen some photos of that, and I kind of went mm-hmm. with the middle ground. I put a little porch on my tiny house, but I love your little porch, though. Oh, thanks. It's <laughs> it's quite rainy and snowy here in Vermont as well, so it's important to have a covered space to to take your shoes off or just shake the water off before you get inside. Yep. <laughs> So you also sell your plans for your tiny house, correct? I do. Yeah, they're still up. Uh, I do get occasional sales here and there. But my gosh, the uh, the tiny house market for plans is just so enormous now. It's crazy. Yeah. It seems like everybody wants, everybody either goes custom or they go to a builder and they buy like some kind of stock model. Oh, yeah. The builders are definitely uh, doing their work right now. Yeah. I don't think too many people are. I think the plans are more for like ideas. Um, People kind of get them as. Yeah. Kind of just like a starting point of what they what they like uh, and then go from there. There are still there are plenty of people doing DIY builds that, that I know, but it's just. And I think it's it's not a bad thing, I think, as the appeal of tiny houses spreads wider and wider just the reality Mm -hmm. is that not everybody is going to 
build their own house. And I, I think that's okay. Oh, yeah, definitely. Have you seen or heard any from anybody who, who built one of your houses that you've you've seen one? Um, <laughs> it's interesting because of looking at different inspirational photos of like tiny houses that kind of pique my interest in. Occasionally, I will discover one that looks very similar. It's interesting to see how the exact build is the same as my house, but the materials and everything are completely different and how it makes it feel and look like a completely different house. Like it, it doesn't look like my house at all. Yeah, what you do with the finishes really changes mm-hmm. things. Yes. Um, I've actually never... I also sell the plans for mine, and I don't think I've ever seen one of my houses built. So if anybody's <laughs> listening and built built one, either one of our houses, I'm sure we'd both love to see them. Yeah, definitely. Now, you also you have another tiny house that you designed after after the one that you're in. Yeah, that was, um, my gosh, as soon as we were done doing our tiny house, I just had an itch to do more. <laughs> like I had already designed and built the one that we were in and I, I wanted to build more, but of course, you know, I'm not going to actually physically build, but what I do have resource to is my 3d program where I built my tiny house originally. And so, yeah, I kind of used that platform to kind of move forward and give other examples. So I included a couple different things that I thought would work, um, be a nice flow for a tiny house as well, without it actually being built. And because of doing that, I had gotten a lot of work 3d work based on it so i would get a lot of tiny house builders contacting me to create their tiny house idea into um a 3d render so that they can post it it's something that they themselves are going to build but they haven't built yet so they need to give clients an idea of what it would look like and so i was able to pick up a lot of work uh just based on that experience and are you still doing that kind of work? Currently, I'm not. I am mom. <laughs> I am running the mom life and doing my Airbnb business currently. Awesome. And and your husband, Chris, is a photographer. Yeah, he's an edi- editorial photographer in Seattle. Yeah, which he's actually uh, in the midst of a job change into uh, web development. Ah. So is he on the road a lot for his photography work? Uh, no, he's, he stays, he works for Zulily. Um, so he's, he's in one location currently. Cool. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, you know, having built the house for mobility, but then having stayed in one place, do you, you know, do you wish you had maybe gone wider or did you, maybe you could talk about that, just like reflect on, on that. Cause I'm, I'm the same. I have my own thoughts about it. Yeah, no. Um, it, it's an interesting thing. So of course at the, at the time that we built, there wasn't resources, right. And we built ours based on the idea of someone else's build because that was the only thing we could go off of. And so we built inside the wheel wells of our trailer 
And now I see other people who built on the outside of their wheel wells. And and it's incredible how just those few extra inches on each side can make a space look that much bigger. I don't think I would go as as wide as to need a, a special permit to bring it down the road. Because having it tiny does give me a lot more options for fitting it into smaller spaces as I as I have had to do. Right. But honestly, there's like not a whole lot that I would have changed uh, with my house because I love how how everything turned out and it still is home to me. It honestly when I when I first posted it on Airbnb, I I had I had such an idea of helping inspire others to go tiny themselves and and use it as a tool as much as I could because I couldn't use it myself. But I'm not going to lie when I when I see guests come into my house, I get so sad because it's my home. You know, I I live in another house, but this is my home. So it's really hard to see other people being able to enjoy it in that form, whereas I'm currently not. <laughs> but still, gives me um, gives me the drive to to continue because I see how many people it has uh, inspired. That's awesome. And mm-hmm. so, like, I'm I have the exact same feeling about about mine. I don't live in it currently, and I would absolutely second your your statement that you know just a couple extra inches makes them seem so much bigger just that extra width Mm -hmm. i would personally probably go a little wider you know yeah knowing that i've i'm actually you know for the first time since moving it after being built you know immediately after i finished building we moved it and now six years later we actually are losing our parking Mm-hmm. So we have to find a new place and it's it's kind of heart-wrenching but it's also knowing that I've only moved it once in 6 years um there's a couple of different widths and you know you can go over 86 at least in Vermont I think it's up to 10 feet and it's just a simple permit that you self you know you go online yeah. you pay 25 yep. bucks and you move it Yeah exactly I wouldn't want to go as wide as like needing a chase vehicle but yeah, that's yeah. Whole... I've seen I've seen many people do that as well with uh, building it out. Even if you, I mean, you have to accommodate your your roofing because it's got to overhang anyway. And um, that's a funny thing too with my build is my build is much smaller in regards to the regulations for what you need for width and, and height. I mean, I kept it within the wheel well, so I knew width wise it was going to be fine, but for the height was always a question because I can design it to be a certain height, but there's always those little things that you don't realize that may come into play. And then all of a sudden you're over or even where I was parked was so unlevel that it was really hard to even calculate how high my roof really was when it was done being built. Cause of course the weight added on. And so it started shrinking. So I, I purposely designed it to be shorter than what was necessary nice i want to follow up about your your kind of backyard tiny house parking would you consider what what you are you've created there to be like a mini tiny house community 
or are you more looking to just kind of provide a spot for tinies on a temporary basis? I definitely had the intention of doing more of a community, not so much of a stop and go. I I wanted whoever was going to be here to feel like they were home and felt like they could stay here. Not to say that I haven't had in the past people coming and going, which is perfectly fine because if it's something that is just a temporary spot for them, then I can still offer up. But ultimately, I had hoped to create a small, tiny house community among friends. Got it. Well, one thing that I like to ask all my guests um, is what are two or three resources um, that you would recommend to our listeners? You know, things that maybe helped you out or since there wasn't a lot around when you were building, you could also, you know, when people ask you for advice today, you know, where do you send them? Definitely. Uh, Resources are very, very important these days, even with as much as there is available. So one of the main resources that I had used when I first started was obviously the internet, but there wasn't a whole lot regarding tiny houses, but now there is. And um, Tiny House Magazine is probably a really good asset for, for getting your general information as well as inspirational stories and workshops workshops uh when we when we were i think just finishing up our build we got invited to to talk at different workshops uh, there's one that d williams run uh down here called pat and um we would come down every six months and speak about our experiences and and those workshops are awesome tools to collaborate as well get everyone else who's interested in building tiny talking to each other and then the circle kind of just grows and then even staying local and doing meetup groups um i i run a meetup group in uh the the greater seattle area and we do different different tours i i try to give open house tours for people to come in and check out our space as well as anyone else who is in here. So like right now we currently only have one other tiny house and Kat, she lives in her tiny house. But at one point we also had um, Sean Burke living on the property and he was in the process of building his shipping container tiny house. And so there are three different tiny houses here, completely opposite of each other, but they all serve, and they all uh, provide different views on what you could do. And so it was really great to be able to open up to people uh, locally as well. Well, that's that's great advice. Melissa Tack, thank mm-hmm. you so much for being a guest on the show today. It was great to connect with you. Thank you so much, Ethan. Thank you so much to Melissa Tack for being a guest on the show. You can find show notes, including links to Melissa's website, plans that she has designed, and lots of photos of her beautiful tiny house at thetinyhouse.net slash 098. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 098. Don't forget to leave a review of the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can find all the links at ratethispodcast.com slash THLP. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.